morning, church. How are you today? Good. Nice to see you. You all look beautiful today. It's awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I like that. I just want to compliment out to you to fish for one. No, not true. Um, hey, do you guys ever have trouble with names? Like our name, like getting names of people down. Is that hard for you? Yeah. What, what's my middle name? Stephen. Yours, yeah, I know, and my mother, I only heard it when, I, when my mom was mad at me, so it, we're all the same, right? That's, that's how that middle name thing works. The only reason parents give us middle names is so they can yell at you. You do your children, if you haven't had children yet, don't give them a middle name, you'll never get mad at them. All right, that's not what I was going to talk about. <laughs> uh, so, so names are hard for everybody, right? Every, everyone, I think, has trouble with names. And you know certain people that are, you go, wow, that guy's really good at names. I guarantee you they're only good at names because they work really, really hard at it. Used to be uh, here at Lakeside, years and years ago, when the church was a lot smaller, I had a pretty good reputation as a names guy. And I was like, oh, Pastor Brad, you remember people's names. That's really amazing. And I did really well when the church only had 20 people. I knew everybody by name. I was great, man. I knew, every, I knew everybody's name. I knew everybody's children's names. I knew their parents when they came from out of town. I knew their name. I knew everybody. It was really easy. You know, and then the church started growing, and we got to about 600 people, and my brain went, Poof. I couldn't. I just found, I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And I used to tell people, they'd come to Lakeside 101, I'd tell them, you know, I'll get your name. If you want me to know your name, just tell me three times your name, and I'll get it. So they would, and I'd get it, and they were like, oh, that's pretty cool. Then I had to start telling them, you know, when you tell me your name, you have to count. You count, you know, hi, you know, Brad, my name's so-and-so, and that's one. And then once they started counting, you know, the people came back and was like, that's three. It's like, oh, that's my last chance. Now I have to know your name. And then I started finding out I still couldn't keep up. And so at 101, I'd tell them, you know, if you tell me four times and count, then I'll get it. And then now I'm up to like five times, and I'm still getting behind, right? So it's hard. Names are hard. And sometimes we have trouble with that, right? You ever have trouble with name tags? I, I'm not really a fan of name tags. You know, I, I, I don't know. You guys look like we don't have very many rebels among us, but I'm sort of a name tag rebel when people want me to do a name tag. I'll, I'll do it because I get it. It's, you know, it's helpful. I can see your names. That's cool. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not really a fan of that. So every year we do this women's Christmas celebration here at Lakeside early in December, and we ask the men come in and serve. And so one of the things I love to do is just come in and serve and walk around tables and say hello to people, and they always make us wear a name tag. So I put my name tag on, but I'm like, I'm the pastor of the church. They know who I am. It's like, why do I have to put a name tag? So usually I'll pick somebody else's name. Like, I mean, yeah, like, like, like Ed Harris. Yeah, you know. I, oh, Nice. Um, what's so funny? So, you know, okay, so that, you know, names, somebody has said a person's name is the sweetest word in the language. Don't you find that's true? When somebody knows your name and they call you by name, it's the sweetest thing you ever hear. I want to tell you a story today about a group of people who had, it was a story about a name. So if you want to follow along with this, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. And uh, we're just going to read this story a little bit and then talk it through and see how it relates to us. So if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there's some on the road next to you, so you can reach over and grab that and, and follow along with us. Genesis chapter 11. Let me read this story for you. Long, long time ago. It says this. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. 
as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Here's a group of people with a dream. They set out to follow their dream. Dreams, dreams most of the time are great. I mean, except nightmares, but dreams are good. Uh, some of our church leaders here last Monday went down to Sacramento and we marched in the Martin Luther King Jr. Day March. And we just said, you know, we've got some brothers and sisters in Christ for whom this really matters a lot. Let's join with them because it's all about the dream. It's all about living together without color boundary, no, boundaries and all those things. Let's live out that dream together and let's just go march with them. So we did. It's about a dream. Dreams change the world. Dreams change things. And so here's a group of people. They had a dream. They said, let's build a city. They said, let's use the latest technology, which sounds very much like Folsom. was like, let's get the highest tech this, the newest that. Let's do everything like high tech. So they built, they built their city. They started building their city with bricks. Before that, they used stone. The problem with stone was you had to cut it out of a quarry and carry it across the landscape to get to the place where your building site was. But if you could dig up dirt close by and then form it into bricks and bake it really hot, then it would, they would be very strong. Then you could just do it all on site. It was a great advancement in technology. It's like we're going to build this city. We're going to use the latest technology. We're going to make room for everybody. No homeless people among us. It's going to be this amazing, wonderful thing. It was a worthy, useful dream. They said, oh, when we build, it, when we build our city, let's, let's build a tower in it. Because everybody likes to have a tower in their city, right? In fact, you know, you know cities by their tower. I mean, it still happens today, right? You know a city by its tower. Like, where's the Eiffel Tower? Paris. Paris. You knew that right off the bat. Where's the Transamerica building? San Francisco. Yeah, okay. Um, Space Needle. Boo. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I started something there. <clears throat> so they got this great goal. Let's build a city. Let's make it really modern, really great. Let's build a tower. There's one flaw in their dream. And that was this. They were building a city to make a name for themselves. And they're like, well, other people, have, other people have names. You know, Adam, Adam had a name, Apple Eater. But Noah had a name, boat floating believer. It's a good name, right? Nimrod had a name. It's not what you think. You Nimrod, it's not like that. Nimrod meant mighty warrior. So all these people had names. They were recognized by their name, by who they were. And so these people said, we want to make a name for ourselves. But that became the flaw in the dream that they were building. 
It's weird because today we do naming rights. We sell naming rights. We're like, I want to have my name on a building. I want to have my company's name on a building. So we sell naming rights. So when you go to a basketball game, you can go, you know, you, we're, going to, you know we're going to the right place, like, like Arco Arena. Oh, wait. Um, Power Balance Pavilion. Wait. Sleep Train Arena. Yeah, which is a rather unfortunate name for a place with great activity. Two things seemed like they motivated the people in the town or the city of Babel. Two things motivated to pursue their dream. And these two motivations got them in deep trouble. And they're motivations that still move us today. They're motivations that drive us still today. And if you look at your heart and you read this story, you're going to go, oh, I see myself in that story. I see these motivations in my life. They're still with us today, and if these things drive us, they are disastrous. First thing that motivated them was pride. Let's build a city, let's make it amazing, and let's build a name for ourselves. What they wanted was a live-in idol. They wanted an idol that they could actually live in. It was like, this is all about us. It's about pride. Pride is the beginning of sin. Pride, I believe, is the beginning of every sin. It started with Satan, and he fell from heaven because of pride. And Adam and Eve got hooked into that process, and they sinned because of pride. They said, Satan said, you could be like God. They said, oh, we'd like to do that. Pride. And every time I fall away from God, or I disappoint God, or I offend God's heart, it starts with pride in my own soul. Churches are always at risk for this because churches are made up of people. We are always at risk of this. We're always at risk of saying, let's build a great building and make a name for ourselves. Let's do a great project and make a name for ourselves. And every time it becomes about ourselves and making a name for ourselves, it's really motivated by pride. And it becomes disastrous for the church that walks down that road. We as a church, have to be careful of falling into pride because it's out there for every one of us. It's in here for every one of us. And when it's in here for every one of us, then it's in here for all of us. And it's a danger for us. The builders of Babel were motivated by pride. They were also motivated by fear. They said, we better build this city. We better build a big tower. We better, we better all hang together because otherwise we're going to get scattered around the world and we'll be isolated and alone and, and at risk. So they built this city. They started to build this city because they were afraid. And fear sometimes drives us. Even in the church, fear sometimes drives us. I watch Christ followers sometimes. Sometimes, frankly, I'm dismayed at us. As Christ followers, because sometimes it seems we're so often motivated by fear. We're afraid of where the government's going. We're afraid of where the politics are going. We're afraid of where the economy's going. We're afraid. We operate out of fear. And it's a motivation that's disastrous to Christ's church and to his people. Well, the people of Babel started building this city and started building this tower, and God came to see. God came to look at what they were doing. It just reminds me that God is never far from the adventures of human beings. 
God is never far from the dreams of human beings. And it doesn't matter what that dream is. It doesn't matter what that adventure is. It doesn't matter if it's a really cool dream, great adventure, or a wrong-headed dream or adventure. God is never far from our activities and our adventures in this life. And when God showed up to look at what the people of Babel were doing, he had an opinion. He said this, If they are this united for this goal, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. That's a remarkable statement of the power of unity. God said, if they are united like this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Unity in pursuit of a mission is powerful. Might even say it a little bit stronger. Mission, unity in pursuit of a mission is unstoppable. That's what God said about what they were up to. But there's another way we could look at that. There's another way we could say that. Unity in pursuit of God's glory leads to great blessing. But unity in pursuit of man's glory leads to fantastic trouble. And we always need to look at our life and say, where are we? We want to be united. As a church, we want to be united. But we want to be united not for our glory, not for our name, but for God's glory and God's name. Because in that, there is great blessing. But God looked at their process and their project, and he said, yeah, but it's all about them. It's all about their glory. And so God ended up scattering them. He confused their language. Here's the beginning of language in the history of humanity. Here's the beginning of language. And because they couldn't understand each other, they drove each other away from one another. And they were scattered around the face of the whole earth. God red-tagged their project. Right? He said, that's it. It's not going any farther. And the city stopped and the tower stopped. And the dream died. Because it wasn't about God's glory, it was about humanity's glory. Which makes me ask, in my life, how do I live my life? How do I order my life in such a way that God doesn't need to come into my life and put a stop to my dreams? How do I pursue the right things in my life so that when I'm pursuing something, I'm chasing something down, God comes along and he says, that's right, that's what I want you to be about, as opposed to God's coming alongside and saying, not that one. How do I get my life in that track? And how do we get our life on that track together as a church? Now, this has a lot of relevance for us Today, last week, we launched this thing called Next 10. We're talking about what are we going to do in the next 10 years to change our world, to change our little world around us, this this oikos around us, the neighbors and family and household around us. How do we change that world? And how do we change the greater world? How do we make an impact over the next 10 years? We're talking about uh, a process where over the next three years, we give resources to make that 10-year dream happen. But there's a risk in that, that somehow we're doing it for our own name, that we're doing it for our own glory. And somehow God comes along and says, I don't want you to pursue that any longer. How do we order our lives and 
our pursuit of this dream together so that the unity that we have together has God's blessing, not God's curse. If you weren't with us last week, we've got brochures out in the lobby over in the living room side where we, you can just kind of see what we're doing. We're going to talk about this for a few weeks together. There's some interactive things to do out there in the living room after we get done today. I'd love to invite you into that, but check out what we're doing. If you already got the brochure, you kind of know, you know the heartbeat of what we're doing. We're trying, to, we're trying to bless others. It's not about making a name for ourselves. We're trying to bless others. We're trying to raise up leaders for the next generation of God's kingdom in, in this world. Try to train up interns who will be leaders in missions and in churches and in, and in organizations around the world through what we're doing in the next 10. We're trying to build projects, not for Lakeside. We've built projects for ourselves before. We built this building on one, of these, on one of these journeys where we're saying, hey, let's give resources to build a building. And aren't you glad we did? Aren't you glad we're not standing outside in January where it's cold and wet and windy? <laughs> it will be because I'm praying for that. It will be. I mean, yeah, so I mean, we, we, built this, we built this, not for our glory, but for a place for us and for a place for our friends to come and join with us. That's a good thing. But in this project, we're just building stuff for others here in Folsom and around the world. Really good stuff. There's another aspect of our, of our project and the process that we're on, the dream that we're on right now. And it's, it's, a, little, it's a little low on the, on the flashy scale. It's, we, call it, we, we call this part of the, um, of the project uh, ministry freedom, which is just a fancy word for debt reduction. Debt reduction is not very flashy. Would you agree? I mean, think about this. Nobody's going to talk about Lakeside Church around the city these days. Nobody's going to talk about us and go, wow, did you hear about Lakeside Church? They're paying down debt. Woo! It's not that flashy, it's not that cool, it's not that interesting, but it's really, really important. We have some debt on Lakeside Church, and we, need, and we just need to pay it off. We need to address it and go, let's just pay this off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, we started another round of what we call Financial Peace University. We don't call it that. I mean, that's what the, that's what the, pe- the people, Dave Ramsey and those, call their deal. So we, we said, let's get in on that, and let's host people at Lakeside, and let's let them get in on financial peace, because a lot of people have no financial peace in our community. So we have 150 people here at Lakeside on Wednesday nights are doing a nine-week run just talking about financial peace, and how do you get there? And the first thing that they talk about in financial peace is acknowledge the problem. So as you acknowledge the problem, we've, we've got these 150 people in the room, and, and the leader said, hey, sit down and figure out how much commercial, um, consumer debt do you have? Not counting your mortgage. Leave that aside. Okay, we're not even going to talk about that. Just, just consumer debt like student loans and credit cards and car payments and things like that. How much do you have? 150 people. How much, how much debt do you think there was among that group? Now, it was all told anonymously, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spotlighting anybody, right? Okay? All, given, all told anonymously, 150 people, how much debt do they have? 500000 No. $3.2 million. There was a collective intake of air right there. You hear that? feel that now if you're in that group of 150 do not feel shame i am not shaming you i am applauding you because health begins with acknowledging the problem 
and you just think if there's 150 people that have $3.2 million of consumer debt just in that group, imagine if we multiplied that through the whole church. I'm just trying to imagine this. In my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's possible that there's, among the people of this church, there's $30 million worth of consumer debt. And so for those who have stepped up and said, we're going we're gonna to acknowledge the problem we're gonna, and we're going to address it, God bless you. I'm proud of you if you're in that group. And I know we've had a lot of others through Lakeside go through the financial peace process over the years, and I'm proud of you as well. It's awesome. We're just doing the same thing as a church. You know what? We're just going to acknowledge the problem. We have some debt. We want to pay it down because it will free us to do ministry for Christ better down the road. Now, some of you will say, well, how would you get into this problem in the first place? Let me just give you a little bit of the backstory. When we were trying to raise funds for the block about almost 10 years ago now, uh, we're, we're like, okay, let's build a student ministries building, you know, kind of typical lakeside. Let's, let's put an emphasis on kids and young people and that kind of thing. So let's build a building for them. They need a place to meet. Let's make it beautiful and spectacular and inviting for them. So we raised these funds. We actually raised $7 million to build that building. That brings another, you know, collective gasp because that's like, wow, that's a lot of money, right? Well, part of what was contributed in that process was a tract of land. There was a, there's a tract of land in the region and some people owned it and they decided to give Lakeside Church 10% of that land, which was an amazing, generous gift. And when they donated the land to the church, it was already in escrow. They'd already sold it. It was in escrow. And that 10% portion that was going to go to Lakeside Church was going to amount to $3 million, had that come in, it would have paid off the block and put extra money in the bank, along with whatever, you know, the rest of what we raised together and we pledged together in that process. It was amazing. But it fell out of escrow. The real estate market was beginning to do this thing, and so it fell out of escrow. It's like, okay, no problem. The majority owner sold the property again. It went back into escrow again, but this time the market had dropped so much that Lakeside's portion of that, our 10% share, was now going to be worth $2 million. Really a big drop, but we were still going to be able to cover all of our costs. And then it fell out of escrow again. Only this time the market had tanked so badly that the majority owners told us, we're not real estate experts, they are. They told us if if we sell it now, the church's portion would only be $600,000. They said, we don't want to sell it right now. We said, we're with you. Now, we still, we still own that property, 10% of it. And the market's going back up, and someday that land's going to be sold, and someday Lakeside's going to receive whatever portion 10% is of that property. Someday we're going to be able to pay off this facility, maybe partly with those resources. Someday that's coming, but it's not this day. And so on this day, we just want to come together and say, hey, we can make a dent in this thing. If we all join together, if we all sign on together, if we are united in this process for the glory of God, there is no stopping what we could do if we join together. My invitation to you as we walk through this series called Next 10, my invitation is that you would join, you would join in, that you would join the church in that process. And I know a lot of you are like, we have our own debt. We've got to take care of our own debt. And I know when we come to these communication events, we're going to help you kind of figure those things out. And how does that look? So make sure you join us for one of those communication events. But together as a church, we want to move forward and say, God, what do you want to do through us? What could we do in this whole journey so that you receive glory 
and that you lead us on your dream for this church. I want to invite you into that process. I want you to meet someone uh, who's been a leader in these processes for Lakeside Church over a long period of time. Scott and Valerie Hansen have been at Lakeside for a long time, and they've led us on some of these journeys to be able to do some things for the dreams that God has, has uh, laid on us. So um, Scott's just going to talk a little bit. He's leading this journey for us with Next 10, so why don't you welcome Scott Hansen, please. Thanks, Brad. So much appreciate an opportunity just to share a bit of both my story personally as well as uh, professionally. Uh, for those of you, I know many of you, but I'm, I'm a financial advisor. I've been a financial planner for 20 some odd years, and I've literally talked to thousands of people about their finances. People with just a little bit in the form of finances and people with multiple millions in finances. And it's interesting, I found very few people have peace when it comes to their finances. There's always this quest for just a little bit more. If it just had just a little bit more income, things would be different. Or maybe just a little bit more money in the bank, things would be, would be different. And it's, it, it's kind of, it doesn't matter how much money somebody has. And some people, I find, are kind of in this pursuit of always wanting more. I, it's really kind of ironic that we are living in one of the most wealthy countries in the world. And our lifestyle is so great. If you look at half the world doesn't have adequate shelter each night. But yet somehow we are never quite satisfied with what we've got, right? And there's always some other project, a kitchen remodel, some other thing that we're always working on. And um, it never quite satisfies that, uh, that what we've got in, that's in our soul deep down. And uh, for some of us, it's maybe that acquisition of stuff. For some, it's just how much we can get saved in our 401k or our retirement accounts. And it's really never quite enough. And I found by working with people, those that have the most amount of peace with their finances are those that have learned to be generous. There's something about when we give our finances, it kind of loosens that grip that the finances can have in our own lives. In my own kind of journey with my wife, we, uh, we were married about a little over 20 years ago. And we first started married, we were tithing. We had been believers for a few years before that. And someone had really shared with us in tithing. And we had learned to trust God in that. It's the one area he says, test me in this and see that I won't pour out so many blessings, you won't even be able to contain the blessings. So we'd learned that in our lives. But we were, we were married. We'd been married for about just over a year. We had just, just bought a house. There was no furniture in the house. And um, I just got my business launched. And Lakeside uh, had this capital campaign at the time, uh, Building for Tomorrow. It was where the old church. And I was the, cap, the campaign chairman. And we had this outside consultant. It took me and my wife to lunch. And he says, you guys need to live by, lead by example. He said, I want you to consider this large gift over the next three years. And he threw out this number. And this number was about what I was making for, on an annual basis at that point. It wasn't very much. I was just getting started and stuff. But at the time, I said, I don't have any money. I said, I appreciate the, you thinking of us, but you got the wrong guy here. I'm, I'm broke. And he said, I just want you guys to pray about this and see how, what, what God would be speaking through you and how God might lead you. And I said, well, I'll pray about it, but I'm just telling you, you got the wrong guy. So my wife and I really said, let's examine... Um, Let's examine this together. Let's pray about this. And again, I had just got my business started. It was a time for us. We're saying, God, who are we going to trust when it comes to our finances? Are we going to put our faith in ourselves and the things that we can accomplish, the build, build business we're trying to build, or are we going to trust in you in this? And really, as I examined the scriptures, I really come to find that God's the one who's going to pour on the blessings or going to take away. 
I mean, that's obviously my job to get up each day and do what I'm supposed to do, but if he wants to bless us financially, he'll bless us. If he wants to wipe us out financially, he'll wipe us out. So we went through the process, thought, what do we have to lose here, right? God's in control. So we went and said, all right, we're going to go ahead and make this pledge over the next three years. And I remember telling the church, I said, look, we've got this pledge for the next three years. Lord willing, we'll be able to do it the next three years. We're committed to this if it takes us the rest of our lives. And I remember my wife and I talking about this. It might take us 25 years. Who knows? We'll see what God does. But it was just interesting to see when we did that, it was a kind of a freeing time for us. We didn't get the furniture right away that my wife wanted for the, the living room. Uh, we've, we've got fine furniture now, but it was just interesting to see when we did that, it really took some of those financial pressures off us. And it's like, God, you're in control of this stuff. We're going to just trust you in that. And Jesus, well, one of the things that was cool in Jesus, when he was in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he says, do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. This is the best part here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we put our treasures in stuff on this earth, that's where our heart tends to go, right? We get caught caught up on all these things. Or we get put our treasure in our savings and our investments, and our heart gets caught up in those. But when we put our treasure in things that are near and dear to what's on God's heart, it, puts, it, it, it aligns our heart with His. And I found in my own personal life and in working with others, when we give to things that are close to God's heart, it really releases us from that financial grip that we all have, that there's never quite enough, there's always that quest for more, and it, kind of, it just kind of releases that. So uh, in this, as part of the uh, capital campaign right now, this next 10 initiative we're going through is we're asking people this three-year journey. My wife and I are in the same position you guys are in. It's like, well, God, where, how do you want us to participate in this? And what, what's our role in this? I just want to encourage you, to, as th- going through this time, just to pray. Just say, God, what would you have us do? Maybe God wants you to participate in a, a big way. Maybe he doesn't want you to. I don't know. I just want, you, I just want to encourage you just to really e- examine God and look at the scripture. And what his, he's got a lot of promises when it comes to money. He'll promise. This is one thing. He promises he'll bless us. May not be financially, right? He might wipe us all out. But if we got God's blessings, who cares? That's all I want in my life, God's blessings. Everything's pretty cool then. So I just encourage you to pray through this. My wife and I will be praying through this process. I encourage you to as well. So we've got a lot of cool things over the next few weeks. I also encourage you to go to one of these communication events. And tonight's a sacred assembly, which I think will be a neat time just to come together in prayer. But I just appreciate the opportunity to share a bit this morning as we're going through this. And just God bless you. And I thank you for the time today. So we're talking about names today. Do you know the name uh, Johann Sebastian Bach? Do you remember him? Yeah, good. Okay, a couple of you. He's, uh, Bach is known for writing some of the most beautiful classical music in the history of humanity. Every time Johann Sebastian Bach wrote a song, he would sign it. At the end of the sheet music, he would sign it. He'd put a signature down. Sort of like a name tag. Only, when he wrote the signature on every piece of music that he ever wrote, he didn't write his name. I mean, he might have had his name somewhere on the music, but that's not how he signed it. Every time he signed off on a, on a sheet of music, a piece of music, he wrote these words in Latin. Soli Deo Gloria. Those are words that mean only to the glory of God. Every piece of music. 
only to the glory of God. What would it take in your life to arrange your life in such a way that your name tag could read, Soli Deo Gloria? What changes would have to come in your life? And I'm asking myself the same question. What changes would have to come in my own life so that on my name tag could be written, Soli Deo Gloria, only to the glory of God? And what would happen, what would have to happen for the whole church, for all of us together to come to the place where it could be written on our church name tag, Soli Deo Gloria? Would that be amazing? And what would God do through a church that was united together in this pursuit that said, only to the glory of God? That would be a church that would live to God's pleasure. And all the way around, it would be amazing. But it starts with each one of us asking that question. What would, hap- what would have to happen in my life for my name tag to say, glory to God? Father, I pray for us today. I love you, Lord. We love you together as your church. We're so grateful for all the blessings you've already given to us. We are overrun with your blessings. And we're grateful, Lord. I just pray for us today for this thing, that there would be something in us that would look at our own hearts and our own lives and our own calendars and our own um, families and everything that we have, And we would say, God, arrange these things so that they are all only for your glory. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you join with us in that pursuit of that dream? And if you would join with us in that pursuit, Lord, would you change our world through us? My own little world and each of our own little worlds. And then your whole world through us because we want to live our lives for your glory. We love you. We honor you together through Jesus, our great Savior. Amen.